One of the best ways to support this show is to share it. And now you can earn rewards for doing so. If you refer 10 friends to China Talk, you'll get a limited edition China Talk mug or a hand-drawn postcard of your favorite Chinese leader drawn by yours truly. That's right, your own special mug or a one-of-a-kind drawing simply for sharing China Talk with your friends. All you have to do is sign up to get your unique referral link and then share it out. Think email, text, Facebook groups, DMs, group me, however you want to do it. Just tell people why they should check out the show. Look for the link to sign up in today's show notes or simply go to refer.glow.fm slash talk. You've got till the end of October, so refer as many people as you can. And now 30 seconds of musical interlude to go and start referring your friends. Kristen Dahl is now a staff reporter at The Intercept and author of the recent The Scientist and the Spy, which we talked about a few months ago back on China Talk. Mara, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. So Mara, who's Ambassador Terry Branstad? Terry Branstad was the U.S. ambassador to China uh, from 2017 when he was appointed by President Trump until just a few weeks ago when he returned to his home state of Iowa. Before becoming the ambassador. He was Iowa's longest running governor. He was governor starting in the early 80s and then until 1999. And then he he left and then ran for office again and became governor from 2011 to 2017. For most people, Terry Branstad is the one person who has occupied that position for most of their lives. He also, of course, hung out with Xi back in the 80s, was it? He developed this kind of friendship with Xi Jinping when she visited as part of an agricultural delegation in 1985. She was then a Hebei province low-level official, went on this trip to Iowa. Terry Branson was a young governor at the time, and they kept in touch. At some point, Terry Branson told Trump this story. He had all he and his son Eric had also been very helpful on Trump's campaign, and so then when Trump was trying to come up with who would be ambassador to China, he thought of Terry Branstad. Yeah, it's funny because a lot of parts of this story just go back to Trump logic, which is that family is important and personal connections matter, and nothing else does. So yeah, so um, I should add that my own family got caught up in the Iowa-China sister-state relationship. My grandparents actually were professors in Hebei province as a result of that relationship. Yeah. But unlike other people, we did not get rich on that relationship. Yeah, that's that's what you tell everyone, Mara. So let's, can we get some stories from your grandparents? What were their reflections on that, on that experience? My grandpa wrote a book that, you know, like I photocopied 
book that's stapled together and distributed to family members. So it's 2017. We have Terry Branstad in Beijing. His son starts working for the Commerce Department and then leaves after a few years and goes into lobbying, government relations, whatever. So how does this all tie back to what I think is one of the more puzzling things that's happened in the U.S.-China relationship where the Commerce Department, where Terry Branstad's son was working for, initially had this like huge decision to, in essence, kill the company by, by stopping anyone who has American U.S. components or like any U.S. firm from doing business with it. CTE, of course, is a, a telecom provider. But then a day later, Trump tweeted, uh, we have to save Chinese jobs or too many Chinese jobs at risk and directed the Commerce Department to ease off on the decision it had made against ZTE, which was done at the first at the first instance for, I believe, violating um, sanctions, particularly with relation to Iran and um, North Korea as well. Um, yeah. So yeah, a month a month after the initial denial order, Trump got tweeted that he was worried about jobs being lost in China. I remember going on Weibo that day and reading comments of people just being so confused. <laughs> and I, I was like hoping that there would be some good memes, but it was just too, it was just too like earth shatteringly odd a thing to happen for for people evil to be even to be able to wrap their heads around it. So he, um, he campaigned on bringing jobs back from China. For sure. So Mara, how does this all loop back to Iowa? And what have you learned uh, in your recent reporting that sheds a little light on on this puzzling turn of events? So my co-reporter at The Intercept, Li Feng, and I found that in shortly before this denial order came down from the Commerce Department, a lobbying firm called Mercury Public Affairs had hired Eric Branstead as a lobbyist. After the order, ZTE hired Mercury to lobby for it. All of this was known before, but what was not known was that Eric Branstead had some involvement with the registered lobbyist on the ZTE account and then went to China with him to meet with Chinese government groups. They went to China in June of 2018, and then in July, the denial order from the Commerce Department was lifted and the Trump administration struck a deal with ZTE. It's not clear that any of this is illegal. The optics of it are pretty bad, though. Eric Branson's father was the ambassador at the time. Lee and I did talk with him and he told us he stayed off the China accounts. He, he was aware that it would have appeared bad to say the least for him to be working on China at the time when his father was ambassador. But we asked him, what are you doing at these meetings? Why were you meeting with these groups? One, one group, by the way, has ties to the United Front, the arm of the Chinese Communist Party that seeks to expand the party's influence. And he said these meetings were really about culturally connecting, making friends. And I was there on my own dime. Is he like a musician <laughs> or a painter? Is he bringing anything to the table this on cultural does appear exchanges? To, this does appear to conflict with some of the messages that Mercury sent internally. Because after they returned from the trip, it told people that Eric Branstead and Brian Lanza, the other lobbyist who was registered on the ZTE account, were seeking to expand Mercury's operations in China and that they'd had a, a fair amount of success there. 
Gotcha. The other thing I would say, our story came out at a time last week when there was a lot of focus on the activities of Hunter Biden, Joe Biden's son, and the Trump campaign has really been drilling down on the message that Hunter Biden has these problematic ties to to Chinese businesses and the New York Post story with supposed emails from a laptop believed to belong to Hunter Biden from this kind of uh, questionable source had come out. And yet our reporting makes clear that the Trump administration also has a, a number of problems when it comes to influence peddling and to questionable ties to Chinese organizations. So the issue here being that both Eric Branstad and Brian Lanza, who was the registered lobbyist on the ZTE account, were advisors to Trump's 2016 campaign. Eric Branstad is now working on the 2020 campaign. So in addition to being the ambassador's son at the time, he was also a former Trump campaign advisor. He was somebody who had served in the administration, and he was somebody who is, by most accounts, very close to Trump. Yeah. Trump has said nice things about him. Oh, yeah. Just even off the cuff. Yeah. Last Wednesday, like last week at a rally in Iowa, he went on about how Eric Branstad is better than his father. Which um, uh, maybe he's better at some things. So what is iFlyTech and why did it merit the feature treatment on your end? So iFlyTech is pretty well known within China. It's it's a big AI company. A few years ago, it was named to this national AI team along with Baidu, Alibaba, and Tencent, the big three. And it's most known for its voice recognition and voice synthesis capabilities. You know, so it makes this really actually pretty cool device called the translator where you just speak in to the device and it speaks out in another language of course works best for mandarin but they have it enabled for a whole bunch of other dialects and also for the major world languages one of the things that iFlyTech has become really good at is handling dialects and and so accents fall under that they have and this is where its work becomes more problematic as they've also made this big effort to conquer the minority languages and to master particularly languages like Tibetan and Uyghur. Before we get into the sort of minority regions angle of this, could you talk a little bit about the the founder and his initial motivation for um, creating this company in the first place? So unlike most of the major companies that are working on biometrics in China were founded fairly recently. iFlyTech was actually founded a lot like the other big internet companies in the late 1990s. And the impetus was that IBM had developed this technology called Via Voice, which was a piece of software that you would install on your PC and that could do some very preliminary dictation in Chinese. And you know, this was a time, if you can think back to the 80s and 90s, for people who typed in Chinese back then, input was pretty complicated. Now is very sophisticated. It's actually pretty fast to type in Chinese. But back then, it was somewhat cumbersome. And to be able to 
use your voice instead of having to essentially look up the character on the keyboard was a huge shortcut. And the developer of Via Voice was actually a Chinese-born researcher who had moved to the U.S. He understood that potential. And when it came to China, it was a big hit. And there was a young PhD student named Liu Qingfeng who thought, basically, I want to do this for China. So he started iFlyTech out of the University of Science and Technology in Hefei, which is a great university, but Hefei is a provincial backwater. But he kept the company there, kept labor really cheap, and it is still there today. And they have since expanded into all these other dialects and areas. So it's interesting because initially in your piece, he has a quote where he said, voice is the foundation of culture and the symbol of a nation. And many mm -hmm. people thought foreign companies had us by the throat, which if you think back to the late 1990s and you think about voice recognition, it sounds ridiculous. But come to 2020, IBM is not going to be taking a contract to map every Xinjiang person based on the way they speak, which is something that iFlyTech has the, the capacity as well as the willingness to do so now. So the sort of indigenous development of this technology, even if it's comparable to um, what Western companies have produced, there is like a real advantage from, from the Chinese state's perspective to be able to work with domestic companies to do this sort of work. So there are companies in the West that are pretty tied up with the military or security state here. Nuance, for example, makes systems that are used by police. Voice recognition is also used in prisons in the United States. But iFlyTech is in a unique position. The way these relationships work is they get access to the government data. It's also, it's money from the government it's a secure source of income for the uh, re revenue for the company, but it is also a huge trove of data. And if you get it from all these different areas, it can become very rich. So iFlyTech has done a number of projects with either local public security offices or with the, the Public Security Bureau nationally. They have a big lab set up in Hefei that's working specifically on developing a voice print recognition database. The idea that you would be able to, you'd have a snippet of a phone conversation or of other audio, and that you would be able to identify the speakers by the, the unique sounds of their voices. This is, it's not clear how far along that is. There are a lot of obstacles to actually doing it correctly, but the ambition is there. And it's, iFlytech is probably the company that's, that's best positioned to do it for the Chinese government. Yeah. And just for the conspiracy theory minded out there, another sort of enormous pot of voice data is, of course, in video games. And uh, Tencent owning Riot Games and invested in many of the largest gaming companies around the planet could potentially build that sort of uh, database on folks outside of China without too much of a too much of a lift, given how much time we all spend yelling into our computers about how the carry isn't pulling their weight or what have you. Neither here nor there. But Mara, what is the <laughs> what's the U.S. government? What's the U.S. government's current uh, attitude towards towards iFlytech? 
So iFlyTech is on the Commerce Department's entity list, just to bring it back to the Commerce Department. For um, have, have they or have they not hired um, uh, hired Eric young Branstead. Eric? So we're getting pretty close to Brian Lanza because Eric Branstead's colleague at Mercury because Hickvision has hired Eric Branstead and they're also on that entity list. It, yeah, it's a big swamp out there. <laughs> um, you know, they've kind of at this moment where there've been these sweeping orders affecting TikTok, WeChat, and more still being floated. iFlyTech is slid under the radar, but they are on the entity list. They also, until pretty recently, had this big collaboration with MIT, with the an, an, a big artificial intelligence lab there. And that was only MIT said that was the lab was kind of scrapped only earlier this year coincidentally or not as my feature article was closing they came out with this announcement that they had scrapped that partnership all right mara thanks so much for coming on china talk okay yeah thank you for having me So, 
Oh, my in-laws just called to let us know they're on their way over and we're out of food. Great. Luckily, Instacart helps me get groceries delivered in as fast as an hour. Plenty of time to cook an in-law-worthy meal. Now, what to make? Chicken parm. Perfect. Download the Instacart app or visit instacart.com to get $20 off your first order using the code PREPARED20. Now the only thing to worry about is dinner conversation. Offer valid for a limited time. Minimum order $35. Delivery subject to availability. Additional terms apply.